My name is Rand Eberhard, and I get to serve um, on the pastoral team in congregational care. And um, you talk about an act of God's grace to <laughs> give me a platform to not only share um, in vocational ministry, but also this morning, um, uh, fully aware of uh, my need for grace and my need for truth that continues to inform my life. And um, I've had a long road. I've had a, a road of, of tra uh, tragic uh, realities that have, uh, our family has encountered, the loss of my little brother um, and a preventable death through addiction. Uh, I'm a recovered person, so by default, um, my ministry is one of reconciliation, uh, of standing um, in the gap where life seems to not make a, a lot of sense to certain people and all of us. And uh, um, by God's grace, uh, he's given me space to understand his truth and um, allow that to shape my heart and give me purpose to live into a broken world um, uh, w with a purpose that goes beyond me and goes beyond circumstances. And I'm honored to uh, have this platform to share this morning. And as you see in this, this title, because he first loved us, and this might be the first time ever that the text doesn't directly correlate with the, <laughs> with the address itself, but you're going to see how this theme, this reoccurring theme, um, speaks to any situation we might have. So uh, I've said for years, and I've heard it somewhere, that the happiest, most productive people are those with clarity of purpose. And when you have a, a clarity of purpose that is task-oriented and you have a list of things that you can, you can point to as accomplished, um, it gives you a sense of contentment for a time. It gives you a sense of satisfaction. Uh, but only by way of the cross, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, um, can we fully understand our created purpose. And our purpose that gives us reason to encounter every single day and every single person that God gives us uh, the chance to inter interface with. And only through the cross are we given the power um, to love and love with an agenda that is surrendered. Uh, a selfless love that looks to the betterment of the other because we're not interested in selfish gain, or we're not interested in making our point or winning an argument or seeing people as problems to be resolved and grafted into our agenda, um, but rather seeing people as the Lord does. And the beauty of uh, the word and, and the beauty of the gospel is that each of you, each of us, is worth the death of Jesus Christ. And when you could see yourself and if, you, if you've not given space to contemplate the reality of God looking down on your life and saying, that person is worth the death of my son, the blood shed at Calvary. So well, we have a purpose that goes beyond ourselves and sits in the depths of our heart. Um, no matter what our age, no matter what our problems, no matter what our suspicions, our unbelief um, is made of, it help, uh, helps us to look beyond ourselves up to the Lord to be shaped by um, his message that is set, the word of God that, it, that speaks into every situation um, 
that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, as it says in Colossians. As we're invited back to that day by day, and we're in fellowship with the Lord, it gives us the ability to look out onto a broken world um, with a mission of reconciliation, a mission that goes beyond anything that would create delay and struggle in our lives. So the greatest commandment is our love of God, neighbor, and self. The greatest truth is God's love for us. All of life's presenting issues can be discerned, understood, and applied by this way of truth. We love because he first loved us. What do we have that we haven't received? Sometimes we think we're self-made because we have, in fact, accomplished a lot. And we think that because of this, we deserve this. And we develop expectations in life. Um, and as I've learned through a lifestyle of recovery, that expectations are premeditated resentment. Relationally, experientially in life, vocationally, anything that you try to design for your own well-being. And we assume that we deserve something in return, like a transactional experience in life. Our effort should yield or, or gain this. Um, we place these expectations on people, <clears throat> and we set them up to fail because they're not going to live into the expectation that is communicated or assumed or expected. So the only resolution that brings contentment in all situations is the fact that he first loved us. And from that love, we're given reason to die to self, to lay our, our lives on the altar, um, to take up our cross and look beyond our own interests to the needs of the other. Unfortunately, we live in a culture that one article or, or one sociologist has coined as the me culture, where the iPhone and, and the, the, the information technology seems to bring a, a temporary relief. And isn't it interesting that probably our motive behind information overload is because we want to be right. You know, we want to win. We want to, we want to know that our belief system, our worldview in general, is the correct one. But if it's not informed by a love that looks like surrender and looks like death, and looks like um, laying your life down for the other, then are we really right? Even though the, the argument might be articulate, um, interesting, uh, if, if, we're, if we're striving to have the last word, if we're waiting on the person in front of us to stop talking just so we can talk, are we really being the presence of hope? The invitational nature of Christ in us that says, I'm here to hear you. So the me culture, people are dying for these three things. And I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't write these myself, but people are dying to be heard, understood, and valued. People are dying for the person that will listen with their whole heart. Our Stephen ministers here at the church are trained to listen, access the heart, and pray. If you're at a, at a juncture in life where you need somebody to just hear you out, I encourage you to reach out to our Stephen ministry. It's a free service where they walk alongside you for, for a time or as long as needed to give full access to their heart. And we have the opportunity to do the same um, interpersonally. As you listen to the person in front of you, that's the most practical application of grace I can consider. Um, 
just practically speaking, obviously the, the grace of God and the lordship of Christ in all and through all um, gives us reason to see the person in front of us and listen with our whole heart. And when you do that, you access their heart and you're invited to sow the seeds of truth that hopefully are shaping your life um, as a way that God would bring them to an end of themselves and as a way that God would remind them of their created value. And we do this because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. I used to tell my students this. For 16 years, I was a youth pastor following um, uh, my journey through No Longer Bound, a Christ-centered regeneration program. My life was transformed in that place, and my ministry began. And Jenny and I uh, moved up to northeast Georgia, Tacoa, where um, we went to Bible college. And, and you talk about grace. Jenny, Jenny came in like this position person for life and impact. And she had everything to offer the world, trained up, educated, all the things going for her. And the only thing I had to offer her coming out of this program was a love for God and a certainty that he was going to use me in spite of me day by day. And there was a, there was a, a, a regenerated inner man that gave me purpose to live into the world. I didn't need a business card. I didn't need a, a depth in the bank account to know that God was going to continue to work on my life. And I got a long way to go. But Jenny believed in my heart for God, laid before him. And we went to uh, Bible college um, after about a year and a half of dating. And we met in this church, actually. We, she was a nanny for uh, the LaMasters family that, that were frequent. A lot of you know them. And uh, years ago, I had the opportunity to come to church, 18 years ago maybe, and sit in, in the upper balcony area, this guy coming out of this, this hardcore program where you, there's no hiding out. You just kind of get real or you get gone <laughs> in that place. And, and Jenny brought me into this church, and I look down. I, I walk into the building, and you're overwhelmed by the, just the beauty of what this is. And then I walk in, um, not with fear of failure, not with inferiority or insecurity, but I walked in with a sense that God had a purpose for me. And who knew that that purpose, as I looked down on Dr. Youssef preaching almost two decades ago, that he would create a space for me here to journey through life with each of you and to shape my faith day by day, grow my family, grow my life as part of the body of Christ, the church that gives platform um, for relationship, uh, worship, uh, giving the spiritual disciplines lived out together. So God had a plan in that. And it's one that I could not have scribed as my friend Nerm and I always say, we could not have scribed the works of the Lord. We can't do that. Um, but he has a perfect plan. And as we're yielded to that, we get to experience the, the invitation of deeper um, contentment, the fruit of the spirit. So I used to tell my students, we, we went to Bible college, came back to Atlanta. I worked in urban young life for eight years with my dad. And uh, I got to coach football and worked in the youth department here for a time. And uh, I used to always tell my, my students that if you walk into a room and you're able to love every person in that room, you're the most powerful person in the room. And you think about that, we, we, we come in f fearing rejection, the fear of man. We come in um, with this the, the sense of how can I build rapport and find common ground? 
and our tendency is to either contribute to or, or default to negativity in general. And it's easy to do that with politics, with uh, religion, with any, any form, any issue in life. You just throw something negative out there and you just immediately have a crowd of like-minded <laughs> together, uh, people together. But if you're able to walk in with the power and love of God, you don't need somebody to love you back, to love them. And what that does, it doesn't, it doesn't position you as a higher authority or more significant. It positions the living God above the situation as you look up and go, wow, thank you that you put me here. And now your, your, your purpose in that room or for the young person in a high-risk environment um, takes on a whole new form. And you enter into that with a missional purpose. You enter into that that somebody might experience Christ in you. So a self-awareness, a God-awareness um, are made clear in this text. A self-awareness is we need to exercise freedom and accept responsibilities and make good decisions. We need to be self-aware to fully embrace our inability to live well in a broken world apart from the direction and the presence of God. We desire to be understood, valued, and accepted. Those are the core themes in life, and we're looking for that. But the point of making that comment is the only way we can be understood, heard, and valued is by laying our lives before the Lord and allowing him to speak into our lives, giving us direction and purpose. So as we do that again, we're given opportunity to be sensitive to who might cross our path day by day and host them as if they were the most important thing in the world, not being preoccupied with your phone as it goes off, um, but be fully present with the person that God puts in front of you, listening with your whole heart, accessing theirs, and winning the opportunity to sow the seeds of righteousness and, and truth into their lives. A God awareness um, it is, it's, it's a wonder of the cross where life takes on meaning and form, where we set our hearts before God. A surrendering of our lives to the lordship and the power and love of Jesus Christ requires a total brokenness. It requires a, 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 the, the awareness that says, I can't do this on my own. There has to be something bigger and more powerful than me that rules my life, that helps shape my decisions, my attitudes, my feelings, and my purpose. And that's a God awareness as you, as you yield your agenda to the Lord. Living Waters is a place here at church. It's a six-month program um, where people enter in with total brokenness, and they've reached a place in life where they can no longer process a lot of what in reality is suppressed pain. We all have that. We have, we have issues in our heart that we kind of displace and act like they're not there. And unless we're willing to confront them head on, we can't fully repent. We can't fully um, overcome our problems. And for some of us that have a lot of problems or had a lot of problems and have more, we tend to set our problems on the shelf and our problems become our problem. As if here's the whole package and it just sits there and it's part of our identity, you know. Um, And unless we give access and space and labor in the work required to give God the, the invitation to transform us, 
then we walk around with this suppressed pain and pain um, as a root. You know, let's, let's call it unforgiveness or resentment or suspicion. Um, this negative root, if, it, if it's left untapped, shows itself in the bad fruit of self-righteousness or withdrawal or resentment or uh, any number of things that would create delay in our lives from walking in the fullness of life as God intended. So if you're at a place in life where you're looking for a space to be around worship, truth, the preached word, and like-minded people searching for the bread of life, I encourage you to go to our website or talk to me or get some information out on the table about Living Waters. I mentioned Stephen Ministry. Don't go about life alone. And if you know someone that uh, is hung up in, in these type issues, don't hesitate to point them in a direction where they can find the redemptive love of Christ. So in the text, if you'll turn there on page 984, starting in verse 29, just, a, just one, one verse here that sets the stage. The Pharisees were just told this, but Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. One theologian described the Pharisees' attitude in verse 29 as a culpable ignorance, which means not wanting to know. You know, we can all, we can all relate to that. We know people who struggle with that attitude, that nature of a Pharisee, where you, you think you want to know something, but you really don't want to know the answer because the answer might require something of you. So it's easier to just kind of minimize the depth of that truth or project any form of blame on someone else to buy yourself some more time to live out your own agenda, which oftentimes looks like a relational um, agenda where you want to be away from people that create problems for you instead of walking into their lives like the Lord did to confront them with a truth that will set them free. So the reverent reading and hearing of Scripture engenders a living experience of God and so a faith in God's power. This applies to this verse. Verse 34, But when the Pharisees, who believed in an afterlife, heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, didn't believe in the resurrection, the Sadducees, they gathered together. Isn't it interesting that human nature loves to see the opponent put down? And that's what happened here. Here's, the, here's two religious sects coming together. They both look to the Talmud as the source of their, their holy scripture. Okay, and, and if that had the depth of Christ to set them free, there, there'd be no warring issue of Galatians 5. The flesh wars with the spirit. But where the Lord is present, there is freedom. And to understand the Lord, you've got to understand the gospel. And understand your created purpose, you've got to understand the gospel. So they gathered together to hear Jesus reject their opposing group. Human nature loves to see the opponent put down. Jesus saw right through him. He didn't ask because they wanted to know. They tempted him. They presented him with a question. And one of them, uh, of them a lawyer, asked him the question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus' answers startles everyone. He said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And see this response, the greatest commandment, 
gives us a direction to face and a way to be in life. Don't miss that. The greatest commandment gives us a direction to face upward to the Lord and a way to be in life that looks outward and gives us a purpose to live into the world. Jesus answers with the purpose of a living of living is the adoration of God and the cherishing of human beings. It's a two-part answer. And he says, he, he takes from the, the center of Israel's history a prayer that the Israelites would pray day and night. Devout Jews prayed the commandment every morning and every night. The greatest commandment and the first commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 39. God's law, the Ten Commandments, and God's gospel, the great Messiah, are both in this, in this command. The relational plan is that we would be in, in relationship with God, with ourselves, and with others. There's a God awareness, a self-awareness that helps us look beyond ourselves to the needs of the other to enter into their lives with compassion and a willingness to hear. A wrong view of God affects a right love applied. So if we don't understand God as he is, then we go about life with an incomplete self and a wrong view of other people. See, regardless if somebody is high maintenance or not, you know, we all know those and we're all that at, at times. But if we, if we understand God correctly, it gives us the ability to sit and be with any person, no matter how high risk or how uh, selfish they may be. And, and you got to be guarded and you have to enter into that with, you know, a guardedness and an awareness that you can read Galatians 6.1. It says, if someone's caught in sin, you who are spiritual, go restore them gently, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. So I'm not encouraging you to go into a world blindly and just to sit with the, 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 uh, the center in high-risk environments. But I am saying that whoever God puts in front of you um, is worth, at the very least, listening to and offering the truth that will shape their lives. The human struggle as we know it is often based in secret self-love. You see, sin is secret self-love. But love for God gives to the love of neighbor the fuel, the warmth, the resources, the motivation, and the purpose that neighbor love so constantly needs. Elsewhere in Scripture, Paul says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Galatians 5, 6. Our family verse, Proverbs 21, 21 says, he who pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. So is there a pursuit of righteousness, a hunger and thirst for that, and a love um, that gives it all meaning? You find the life that God intended, um, and you find honor at the end of the day. You, you conclude each day knowing that God has been included. Galatians five twenty two, as mentioned, um, the fruit of the Spirit. And then again, we're reminded here that against such thing, there is no law. Love thy neighbor in Leviticus context. Just reading a few verses here. Then the Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire congregation of the Israelites and tell them, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. You must not pervert justice. You must not show partiality to the poor, favoritism to the rich. You are, the judge, you are to judge your neighbor fairly. You must not go about spreading slander among your people. You must not endanger the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. 
verse 17 of Leviticus 19. You must not harbor hatred against your brother in your heart. Directly rebuke, which means returning to righteousness, your neighbor, so that you will not incur guilt on account of him. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against any of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. The center of the Hebrew text. I am the Lord, is said. A quiet confidence gives us the ability to enter into any situation um, with a kingdom ethic, with a purpose that goes beyond our understanding most of the time. So sitting with with someone who is experiencing pain um, is one of the greatest callings we could we could ever experience. So I encourage you this week to think about who is it that needs somebody to show up in their lives. Just this week, uh, uh, earlier, I, I did a, a visit over with Jim and Donna Cranchance, who Jim's recovering from a pretty serious leg uh, surgery. And, and I went in and sat with them, and I was blessed um, to not only enter into their pain, but I was more blessed that they hosted me, and they wanted to know about my faith. And they wanted to know about my purpose for um, ministry and my family. They, they took an interest in me, which uh, I, I didn't need to be needed <laughs> necessarily, but it, it blessed me that they gave me a space, as is the, the, the biblical direction of hosting. And they hosted me in the Lord and blessed me deeply um, as we sat there and visited for a great time. So, Loving who God made you to be. If you knew who God wanted you to be, you'd never want to be anyone else. And that's a quote that has followed me for a number of years. If you knew who God wanted you to be, you'd never want to be anyone else. Because we are all members of the body of Christ and God's creation, we have the foundation for self-respect and should have love for all others. We carry around so much guilt and pressure because we're told so many things to do by the church, by other people, by the world around us, and even by ourselves. Our self-talk can be so debilitating that we tell ourselves lies, like, oh, I'm an idiot. You know, and you sit and you feed your head with these, 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 these negative condemnation-based um, attitudes. But Jesus tells us in this lo- double love command, love the Lord your God, with all your heart, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. That in these two commands and with all that we are, we see that it takes us, takes you each day to rest in him and relax in that promise. It is finished. Place your hope in the Lord. Carry your cross. And be fully understood experientially. The cross in our lives is a concept, as a historical moment can't fully be embraced on the level of the heart until it is experientially lived out in the world. So in other words, as you put yourself on the cross, dying to self, laying your agenda aside, that people would see the resurrected God that hung on the cross for you, it gives us reason to be the evidence of of a living God in a broken world. And as it's lived out experientially, the depths of what happened at Calvary are that much more understood, the embodiment of our convictions. On these two commands depends 
all the law and the prophets. The whole Bible and the history hang on these two commands. Even the prophets can find the final truth of God and the purpose of life here. Everything hangs on these two commands. So if you're dealing with fear, if you're dealing with regret, shame, anxiety, addiction, um, if you're dealing with anything that creates delay in your life this morning, I pray that as we close in prayer, that you would turn your heart before the Lord and you would think again as a reminder who it is that you're supposed to reconcile with um, this week. Who is it that you're supposed to give access to the, the most practical application of grace, being present with them, not for the purpose of having the final word, but to fully hear and access their heart, that you might sow the living word into their lives. So lay your life before the Lord this morning. Open your heart to his plan that he might be included, that you might honor him and glorify him in your entire, entire being. Why should we do this? Because he first loved us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that your love came first. Your creation. All of the human struggle, past and present, is invited to meet at the cross. So Lord, help us to honor you by loving others. Honor you by nailing ourselves to the cross and trusting in the finished work of Christ, that we agree with the message of grace, we're transformed by the truth, and we're given reason to live into the world, a reason that's much bigger than us, a reason that specifically is to glorify the Lord. So let us love you with all our heart, mind, and strength this week. Let us love ourselves as we are your child, your created one, and let us love our neighbors as ourselves and put our faith totally in that. Give us clarity of who it is we're to seek out for reconciliation, who it is to, we're to seek out that they would experience Christ in us, the hope of glory. Just bless us as we go out with the fullness of your power and presence. In Jesus' name, amen.